Father God, we love your word, and that's why we're here, to study your word. And we pray now that you'll teach us more about who you are and about how you work even in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Exodus 7. Let's see. I got it right here. Okay. So let's uh, let's look at it beginning with verse uh, verse one. Uh, Yahweh said to Moses, "See, I have made you Elohim over Pharaoh, and Aaron, your brother, will be your speaker." Now. Explain the wording here. Elohim is, of course, a generic word that is generally uh, translated for God, our our Almighty God. But it is also used in other ways in the Hebrew text. Obviously, here. God is saying to Moses, I'm going to make you more of a God than what he thinks he is because you're my servant and you're speaking for me. That's, that's basically what he's saying uh, to Moses. He's not going to make Moses God or even a God, but he's going to make him God over Pharaoh. Can you understand that? Here's, here's why... Here's why it would it, here's how we're to understand it. Pharaoh, who thinks of himself and as most of the other world in that part of the world in that day, think of Pharaoh as uh, God. You know, you know this. F- Pharaoh was considered God, a God, God. He was the chief God over the lesser gods, and this is a there's a plethora of gods and goddesses in Egypt at this time. And we're going to see, as a matter of fact, the plagues do, do more than one thing. But one of the things that the plagues selected as they are, you know, why this plague? You know, why wasn't there a meteorite shower? Or why wasn't there this? Why was there this? We'll learn that everything that is... Uh, Attacked is worshipped as a god or a goddess. And there is a god or a goddess that is inscribed in their pyramids or in their walls in other places. We're going to look at some of that as we go along. Uh, so when, when Moses said, Yahweh says, let my people go. Pharaoh says, No, and here's what I'm going to do that's going to make life worse for you than the way it is. He says the next thing, let my people go. No, and I'm going to show you that whatever you do, I got guys that can do the same thing. Well, there are, what, ten plagues or whatever, um, and they they sort of, they, they, they attack as much as anything, the religious belief of the people. The people, even in Egypt, are going to have to understand there's one God. Pharaoh's not him. And none of the lesser gods or goddesses can stand against him. At this point, Pharaoh 
has no regard for Yahweh. He doesn't know anything about a God of the Hebrews. He doesn't care. Um, and his people would have been the same way the Egyptians. They were arrogant. They looked down on the herdsmen, uh, the, the pastoral people of, uh, of the Hebrews. We've already studied that, I think. No, did we study that in? No, we studied that in Exodus, didn't we? It was either Genesis or Exodus. Um, so Pharaoh is, is not only arrogant, he's, he considers himself God. Moses, all he has is a staff in his hand. He doesn't have all these, these pictograms carved in walls that are supposed to last forever. He doesn't have a big statue of himself. He doesn't have a big place to be buried in that, will, that is designed to stand the ravages of time and a name that's supposed to stay above all other names and be worshipped as God. He doesn't, he's just a plain and simple guy, except he's the messenger and chosen servant of God. Well, that makes all the difference in the world. So, first thing that Yahweh says to Moses, I'm going to make you like Pharaoh's God. Pharaoh is going to be shamed into understanding and seeing that he's less than the messenger of the real God. You're just a messenger, Moses. You're just a servant. And you, you only have power that, that I would give you so that it could be as a sign. Of course, it's a staff and the things that he does with his staff. But even you are going to have to be regarded if there is such a thing as a, as a deity, Pharaoh is going to have to see that you're above him uh, and that he's really nothing and that I can make anybody. I can make a Hebrew slave. I can take a, an adopted son uh, who is serving as a Midianite uh, shepherd in the middle of nowhere, doing nothing, minding his own business. I can take anybody and make him greater than Pharaoh. This is what God is saying, okay? And then he says, Aaron, your brother, be your speaker, your spokesman. You will speak all that I command you, and Aaron, your brother, will speak to Pharaoh that he let the children of Israel out of his land. Now, important here is that God doesn't even want Israel to have Egypt's land. That's not the best land. That's not the land he wants them to have. So God says, okay, it can be Pharaoh's land. He can have that. I don't care because this is not the land by covenant that I have given to your people. But he's going to have to let my people out of his land so that, they, so that I can lead them to the land that I have given them. Of course, the land of the people. This is an extraordinarily important part of uh, the Old Testament story. Verse uh, 3, But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and I will increase my signs and my wonders in the land of Egypt. That's an interesting... This is not the only time that God says to his prophet, you're going to have to go and do this, but it ain't going to work for you. Sometimes you wonder, well, why in the world is he sending me to fail? <laughs> has nothing to do with me or the prophet. It has all, everything to do with God. What God is saying is he's going to try to throw 
He's going to try to throw his magicians at you, and he's going to try to throw these gods and goddesses at you. And you're going to be showing him that not a single one of them mean anything. Everyone that comes at you. You're going to show him. And it's going to get worse and worse because he's going, okay, let's, let's take it, I don't know, let's take it in a sports analogy maybe. Um, he's going to have to put his team on the field and he's going to have to go to his best game and his best offensive plays and his best players and these guys generally are national champions, but when they come up against you Hebrews, nothing's really going to work. They're not champions of anything, and we're going to show them. So God hardens Pharaoh's heart because the longer this goes and the worse the situation gets, the greater God will be seen to be at the end of the whole thing. It's all about God, not nothing about Mo, not even about Pharaoh. It's not about Moses. It's, not, it's about the glory of God. It's about the power of God to demonstrate the power of God to the to the people. Now these plagues are going to affect the land of Egypt. They're going to affect the water supply of Egypt. They're going to affect the food supply of Egypt. They're going to affect Egyptians, great and small. They're going to affect the beasts of Egypt, and finally affect Pharaoh of Egypt. But all the way through this, then what kind of a guy is he? His people are hurting. We're going to see that from time to time they starve because God changes the water. Um, they, they're, they're, they get kind of, it gets more and more pitiful for them. But Pharaoh's heart hardens and he won't listen. So he doesn't really, okay, so you have a guy who thinks he's God and he's in a struggle with a guy who says his God is God and his people are the slaves. They're our slaves, you know. Why should I listen to their God? Look what he's done for them. This thing is going to work right into the hand of the Lord and when it's, you know, all the way through the rest of the Old Testament, even into the New Testament, and, and even Passover that's observed all the time, uh, that in some ways spills over into our Lord's Supper, but it, the whole thing has been remembered for all these thousands of years, what God did to deliver Israel from Egyptian bondage. It was a profound, uh, a profound thing, and it really, it really wasn't that big of a deal when you think about the power of God, but he, he executed his power just in the right way, just in the right progression, to make the Egyptians know that he's that no God can stand against him, and to make the Israelites know that Moses was his guy. They, you know, it, it's going to have to be something that really plays, plays deep into their minds so that when the time finally comes, they're going to be sold out. Now, they'll have their problems, but God always comes to Moses' rescue uh, when, they, when they start their trek uh, on the way out. Um, so this thing about hardening Pharaoh's heart, it doesn't really have anything to do with anybody except God, this whole thing. He says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. I will increase my signs and my wonders. So the people are going to think, wow, that's, that's pretty powerful. And then, of course, the magicians of Pharaoh come along um, and 
God lets them fire their best shot, and then after the first two or three times, they don't, they don't have any arrows left. Their bullets are gone. One of the most demoralizing thing, if you ever, well, y'all don't enjoy the things I enjoy, but if you go into the ring with a guy and you're going to fight him, <laughs> you say, I want you to do the best thing you can do, as hard as you can do it, and I'm not going to stop you. And he does it, and it doesn't do anything to you. He's demoralized. See, he just fired his last bullet, and he shot it first. This is, this is the Egyptians emptying their magazine until they're out of bullets, and then they just say, oh. Finally, these magicians will say, hey, the God of Moses, he's really God. He, there's, nothing, there's nothing left for us. Okay, verse uh, 4. But Pharaoh will not hearken to you. Now, how does God know that? Because he's God. This whole thing is God's. Everything is God's. And I will lay my hand upon the Egyptians, and I will take my armies, my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt with great judgments. That word armies, it's an interesting, uh, it's an interesting word. It, means, it, it, it literally means... Uh, it means those who are uh, designated for warfare. It could be, it could be translated uh, legions, I guess, or maybe, maybe it could be translated, uh, let's see, uh, maybe it could be translated warriors. But it speaks of those who are who are warriors. Now, these, these Hebrews, they're not an army yet. But let me tell you an interesting thing. Moses prepares them in a certain way to march. Twelve tribes, three, 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 and in the middle is the tabernacle, right? And so it's, it, they'll follow the pillar of fire, but Judah... The, the most numerous and strongest of the tribes, of course, the Lord, the Lord is in the loin. Jesus is in the loins of somebody in that tribe. They're going to march first, and they're going to go in this particular uh, arrangement which is, according to Josephus, the same arrangement that General Moses, back in his 30s, and by the time he got to be about 40 years old before he got kicked out, he would have learned uh, this, this, battle, this battle arrangement. He would have learned how to do that because that's what the Egyptians did. That's how they marched. They got into this particular, uh, this particular way uh, and they, they would just go just like that. And so they were protected on all four sides, and they would just go right through wherever they were going. It's the same, it's the same kind of uh, design that Moses uses for the people. Now, they hadn't ever really fought, but then what, Amalek comes along, and, and uh, they show themselves to be a, an army, a force. Uh, so... And I'll tell you what makes an army an army. 
Uh, and it's like everything else. It's what God wants to do with it. Later on, when Israel, much later on in the time of the judges and so forth, or in the time of David, when the armies of Israel are vastly outnumbered by the enemy, it doesn't make any difference. Uh, take, well, let's, let's go back to Gideon, the time of the judges. Gideon just happened to be at the right time in the right place, and these two guys in the other opposing army, which this army, you know, Gideon had his 300. These, these guys had like, what, 30,000 whatever. And he just happened to be at the right place at the right time listening to two guys talking just then, and they just happened to say, oh, man, Gideon, he is, he's one bad dude. He's, his army's there. See, he, he need, Gideon needed that because he was scared of himself. Um, and then what happened is God melted the hearts of the enemy. They became chicken. They got scared. Uh, same thing happened back, way back in the time of Abram when he had the 300 trained servants. And they went after Kedorlaomer and four armies. Four armies against his shepherds, but they were trained. Uh, and there were 318 of them. 318 of them against these thousands of other four armies. And uh, they just kind of melted, you know. Uh, that's, that's, that's what makes a warrior is a heart that doesn't melt. And, that, and God reserves the right to put that kind of a heart into an army that he chooses to use. And he melts the hearts of armies that he intends to defeat. God controls that. Here's what he says here. He says, my armies are marching out on this thing. My armies, my, my legions, my people, the children of Israel going to come out with great judgments. Okay, well, you would think that some of the stuff that's going to be done are going to be pretty great, but they just get greater because God is going to demonstrate his power uh, in a crescendo. It's going to be greater and greater, his demonstration of power. Verse 5, And the Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh when I stretch forth my hand over Egypt, and I will take the children of Israel out of their midst. Okay, so <clears throat> this rain, it, the, it's in the plural, Egyptians. It's not, the, the connotation seems to be on the, on the Egyptians individually, collectively, but as individuals. Egyptians within themselves are each going to testify personally, the God of Israel, he is God. There's nothing we could do. Pharaoh couldn't do anything. The God and gods and goddesses of everything that's precious to us, powerless uh, against, against the God of, uh, of these people. Interestingly enough, too, these people at this point in time, it wasn't the armed conflict was not the first thing in their mind. Uh, they were... They were scared of the whip, and they had been intimidated into seeing and thinking that, you know, there's nothing we can do against these people. Now, they outnumbered them, probably. But they just, at this point in time, they didn't know how to use weapons. They, they had never grown up 
even knowing, knowing how to fight like warriors because they'd been whipped down as slaves for hundreds of years. Uh, God's going to turn that all around, and he can turn it around in an instant. So God says, The Egyptians will know that I'm Yahweh when I stretch forth my hand over Egypt, and I will take the children of Israel out of their midst. So this is going to be a demonstration not just for Pharaoh, but for Egyptians individually. Uh, because when you read about them, in what, at least the, the, what's said about the populace of Egypt, <coughs> what the Bible says, it's, it's as though they're arrogant and they're not concerned any, they're not in any way concerned about whatever a so-called stated God of the Hebrews could do or anything like that. God's going to change all that. Verse 6. Uh, let me go back just a second. Um, one of the, in verse 5, Egyptians will know that I am Yahweh. There's an interesting prophecy in Ezekiel. Uh, where the, it's rather detailed about how this particular confederation of nations will come down upon and, and attack Israel in the latter days, uh, headed up by Russia and Iran uh, and others, Turkey. And um, it is specifically stated that this happens in the latter days. If you read and if you study Ezekiel, Ezekiel is chronological. Ezekiel, the prophecy, starts in the time of Ezekiel. It starts where he is and when he is. Then it shows how things transpire in the, in the, uh, in, in the, in the, in the last days of uh, the, reign, the, the, the nationhood of Judah. And then how they are defeated and they fall to the Babylonians and then they're carried off into, into slavery. And then the enumeration of how God is going to deal with all of the nations that have dealt harshly with Israel, well, especially with Judah. It moves from there. It talks about the dispersion of the people. And then it moves from there to the Valley of Dry Bones, well over there. And so after the dispersion, long time after the dispersion, Israel is regathered and bones and, and muscle tissue and flesh, but no spirit, no life, no, no salvation yet until the breath of God breathes into the nation his, his salvation. Then after that, uh, right after that comes in the latter days, and the, 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 the Hebrew language is very strong, in the absolute last of days, Israel already has to be regathered as a nation with their own piece of land and known as a nation among nations. Then these, this confederation of nations comes upon them and it would seem at that moment that it's practically a hopeless situation uh, for, for Israel until God says, and I will make the nations to know that I'm God. And it's even in there where people will ask, 
is this what the prophet spoke about? When this horrific invasion of Israel takes place and those guys are stopped dead in their tracks, five out of every six of them die, uh, and, and God does what he does to the salvation of Israel there to keep Israel God says Israel, and at that point in time, it seems that Israel still is, for the most part, an unbelieving nation. Israel, God says, I did not do this for your sake. I did this for my holy name's sake, that the nations may know that I am God. Now, we're not there yet, but we sure live in a world where people are rather uh, casual about the reality of God and the sovereignty of God. And it would, you know, it would be in a day where all the nations could see and ponder what just happened. Well, we live in such a day. So anyway, God has done it before that Egyptians will know that I'm Yahweh when I stretch forth my hand over Egypt. And God has a way at just the right, in just the right way, just the right place, just the right time to let people know, hey, I'm God. So verse 6, Moses and Aaron did as Yahweh commanded them. So they did. And Moses was 80 years old. Aaron was 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Yahweh spoke to Moses and Aaron saying, When Pharaoh speaks to you saying, Provide a sign for yourselves, you will say to Aaron, <coughs> Take your staff, cast it before Pharaoh. It will become a serpent. Now you, you remember God has already told Moses. We saw that a couple, three chapters back, whatever. God, God told him, you know, I'm going to give you certain signs that you can use a staff with. And, and these will be sufficient for you. You, you, can, you, can do, you can do these things. So here we go. Verse uh, 10. Thereupon Moses and Aaron came to Pharaoh, and they did so as Yahweh had commanded. Aaron cast his staff before Pharaoh, before his servants became a serpent. Now go back in verse 9, back up a verse. Yahweh says... Provide a sign for yourselves. I'm going to show that my power is demonstrated through you. So this would be a sign. And of course, he'd already, he'd already given him lessons on, on what to do with his staff. So it became a serpent, verse 10, now verse 11. Then Pharaoh also summoned the wise men and the magicians, the sorcerers of Egypt, also did likewise with their enchantments. <coughs> so this is kind of like voodoo. <clears throat> this is black magic stuff. I've had some fascinating, I've had some fascinating conversations with men and women who have served as missionaries for many, many years in very dark places in the world. And they will tell you things that you just, you, you couldn't understand otherwise. We've been blessed in the United States because I think of the strong, pre this is this is the gospel according to Charlie. Take her to leave it. I think that the founding of the nation on up until these last few years, the the church has been a strong a strong presence in the United States. We're not a theocracy by any means. I don't claim that we are, but the church, because we've had freedom, uh, and and we've we've been able to you know, evangelize and preach the gospel and teach people to disciple them without fear of government. We didn't have to. So in that freedom, God used it to, to, to 
work through missionary efforts and evangelism and all. But with the retreat of the church, the vacuum will be filled by very dark forces, de demonic forces. We're already seeing it. Uh, I just read this week, the IRS has granted the temple of Satan um, 501c3 status. Um, and, uh, you know, they, they do the same, the same thing for mosques and, and all these other things that, uh, of course, um, you know, it's, we understand and know by reading the Bible uh, that these things are not of God. They're just not of God. Um, so with the, with, and I don't know why churches feel like they have to be intimidated by governments or anybody else. When I, I've said this before. One guy told me some time back that the only thing wrong with the Christians these days is we're not being fed to the lions anymore. Um, because you really, you really know who's for real at that point in time. But um, be, because of uh, compromise, because really of a, of a, of a, a lackadaisical attitude toward the Scriptures, it can just, I'll take it or leave it. I'll read it when I want to. It's, in, it's enjoyable at times, you know. Then you get to the point where people think that they actually have the, the latitude to reject parts of the Bible that they don't like. Um, well, these things have crept upon us. The leaven is, is really spreading throughout the whole, the whole loaf of bread. And the church, the church just almost at times seems to be in full retreat. Uh, and you think of other places in the world where the church has never had the kind of presence that it's had in the United States, and you can really see some very dark forces at work uh, in societies and in the lives of people. Well, because these people, every... I think the Hebrew word is elelim. Anyway, it's a, it's a word that references demons, which any false god or goddess is a, is a, is a demon-energized thing. It's demonic. Therefore, Egypt was consumed with, uh, I don't know, black magic, demonism, whatever you want to call it. So they had tricks and, and ways to do what appeared to be mimicking what Moses and Aaron had done. Verse 12, each one of them cast down his staff, that's the magicians, the sorcerers, and they became serpents, but Aaron's staff swallowed their staffs. Uh, that's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. You know, his, 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 his big old snake is over there burping, and he can say, you call that a snake? Well, you know, at that point, you got to think, Moses and Aaron are watching their snake eat the other snakes, and they're going, <laughs> that's the way I see it. They're, they're just, that's a knee slapper. You know, man, that is good. Picking their teeth, you know, what's next? Verse 13, but Pharaoh's heart remained hard. He did not hearken to them as Yahweh had spoken. Yahweh said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hard. He has refused 
to let the people out. Go to Pharaoh in the morning when he's going to the water. Now, he's either going down there to bathe. I don't think he's going there to get a drink. Somebody bring him. He's either going there to take a bath or maybe he's going there to worship the Nile. You have to understand, that part of the world and the topography and the environment and all that, it is totally different now than what it was back then. There were times during the year where the, the Nile, <coughs> excuse me, would way overflow its, its, uh, its boundaries, you know, its banks. And it would be that way for a while, and it would moisten and soften and enrich the soil, and those people could grow all kind of stuff. In an, and so to them, it wasn't just their drinking water. It provided the very life uh, of the Egyptians. It's not that way today like it was back then. Uh, but, but back then, this was God to them. Now, so Pharaoh, maybe he was going down to worship the Nile. Who knows? So the Lord says, when he's going to the water, that's interesting, God knows where he's going to be, right? You will stand to meet him on the bank of the Nile. The staff that was turned into a serpent, take it in your hand, and you'll say to him, Yahweh Elohim, or the Lord God, Yahweh God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, send forth my people that they may serve me in the desert. But indeed, until now, you've not hearkened. So says Yahweh. <coughs> With this, you will know that Yahweh, or I am Yahweh. Behold, I will smite with the staff that, that is in my hand upon the water that is in the Nile, and it will turn to blood. And the fish that are in the Nile will die, and the Nile will become putrid, and the Egyptians will loathe to drink water from the Nile. Now, that's a big deal. No water to drink. And another historians say that another thing that was really a staple for them, of course, was the fish that came out of the Nile. Yahweh said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff, stretch forth your hand over the waters of Egypt, over their rivers, their streams, their ponds, and over all of their pools of water, and they'll become blood. And there'll be blood throughout the entire land of Egypt, both in buckets of wood and in pitchers of stone. So, you, you know, okay. I've got a cistern out in the backyard. And uh, it's, it's a good supply of water for my house. And I go out there when all this happens, and my cistern has, the water in it has turned to blood. Anything that had blood, water in it, it turned to blood. Moses and Aaron did so, verse 20, as Yahweh had commanded, and he raised the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile before the eyes of Pharaoh, before the eyes of his servants. All the water that was in the Nile turned to blood. The fish that were in the Nile died, and the Nile become, became putrid. The Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile, and there was blood throughout the entire land of Egypt. Well, that would be discouraging, wouldn't it? Okay, now, here, here are the three gods that were attacked, or go a goddess and two gods. Hopi, the god of the Nile, he's the first one over here. And then Isis, the goddess of the Nile, she's the one in the middle there. And these are actually figure, figures that were taken from ancient Egyptian carvings there uh, in Egypt. And the last one is Khnum, the ram god guardian of the Nile. 
So these three characters were worshipped as the gods and goddess of the Nile. Just like that. They weren't so good at what they were supposed to do. Because just like that, all the water turned to blood. And the magicians of Egypt did likewise with their enchantments, and Pharaoh's heart grew hard, and he did not heed them as Yahweh had spoken. Now, how would you feel if all the water had turned to blood, and maybe there was one bucket of water that hadn't turned to blood yet, and Pharaoh says, guys, turn that to blood. That wouldn't make me very happy, you know. Um, I, would, I would vote for the other party. Uh, if, if, he, if he took whatever little water there may have been and his guys did some kind of trick and turned it into blood, well. well, there goes that water, right? Pharaoh turned, went to his house, and neither was his heart moved by this. So what do you, you know, uh, this makes my mind wander. What do you think they, what do you think they drank if they didn't have any water? There you go. So now, so wine. So here, here my mind is thinking, all right, by this time tomorrow, every Egyptian in Egypt is going to be drunk. <laughs> no. They were, they were protected. Uh, this was the Egyptians' water. Uh, so he went, he went home. His heart wasn't moved by this. I don't, you know, if he gets thirsty... It's either drink some blood or a Coors Light. I don't know why. Uh, some uh, some uh, Jack Daniel. I don't know what they had. Uh, wine. Uh, wine, yeah, wine. Uh, and, then, you know, that, that doesn't make for a clear mind. Um, so then if all the Egyptians get drunk because the only thing they could drink was wine, <laughs> what a, they don't show up for work, right? So the whole economy is going to crash. Oh, well. I could. What? That's right. And, and everybody was told to leave their chariot at home. Um, <laughs> insurance will not cover you if you're DUI. Leave that chariot at home. Yeah, friends don't let dreads, friends drive. Designated driver. I'm drinking the blood. I'll, I'll take you home. I'm not drinking the wine. Hey, you got to have an imagination when you, you got to put yourself back in the time, right? Oh, man. So, so here it is again, Moses and Aaron. <laughs> Pharaoh is staggered. <laughs> Okay. I'm thinking of those two old guys on the Muppets, you know. <laughs> but they were great men. <laughs> I have to be careful here. I don't want to cross a line. And seven days passed after Yahweh had smitten the Nile. Okay, you know they're drunk, right? What Egyptian could drink wine for seven days? Ned doesn't say they drank wine. When they dug around, did they still find blood? Or Egyptians, started, the, all, of their, all of their... All of their... around the Nile, 
Was yeah, all of their water source, yeah, all of their water source was blood. See, go back over here, um, verse uh, 19. The waters of Egypt, their rivers, their streams, their ponds, their pools of water become blood. See, they couldn't even enjoy a swim. They would, 24, when they dug around the Nile for water to drink, was it also blood? Yeah, they couldn't find it. It was all it was all done for. You know, you jump, you think you're gonna have a swim, you go out and jump in your pool. <laughs> and then, you know, even before you can get to the towel, you've scabbed up. <laughs> right? You just turned into one big scab. Well, stitch had to be pretty bad with all the fish. Fish, yeah, yeah. Well, well blood gets oh, this blood right now because that's the either. life. Yeah, it'll rot. Yeah, they said, because my husband said in Vietnam, of course, men were just getting killed. And he said that blood just it was hot there too, hot, hot. Well, my, my guess is it's pretty hot in Egypt. And it, that it was just horrible smell. Of blood. And, okay, here's the leader of his people. What does it say? He wasn't moved by this. What a guy. Okay, I'm going to stop there. And uh, we'll pick it up there next time. Let's pray. Lord, we marvel at how your hand has moved in history that people may know that you're God. Thank you that you have empowered us with your Holy Spirit, that through preaching the gospel, that even today people may know that you're God. Help us and bless us as we seek to do your will in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.